Welcome back to Mortgage Genomics Canada. I'm your host, Marco Giello. I'm a duly licensed mortgage broker in British Columbia and Alberta. Born and raised in Calgary, currently living in North Vancouver. If you are from either of these provinces or require any mortgage-related services, please do not hesitate to contact me. Call or text me right now at 604-800-9593. 604-800-9593. One application, one credit check, and access to Canada's top lenders. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, today's headliner topic, I'm going to talk about variable rate mortgages with fixed payments. Yeah. But before we get to that, here's what's on my mind this week. All right. U.S. debt ceiling and Canadian debt ceilings. So you may have heard a bit about um, a debt ceiling issue, particularly in the U.S. Back in November 2020, and we'll talk about the U.S. one, but back in November 2020, Canada raised its debt ceiling limit to $1.83 trillion um, from what it was prior to that, $1.17 trillion, so that it can continue to print money to cover all the COVID spending expenditures. And, and this basically means the government spends more than they receive in taxes. And so as this is done, Canadians are basically keeping their fingers crossed that the economy will do its thing. Or as Trudeau says, the economy will take care of itself. But it is also critical to keep an eye on the credit rating agencies throughout this endeavor. Um, Just like Equifax and TransUnion are to the general consumer like you and I, nations also have reporting agencies and, and they have an impact on the country's overall economic system if they are downgraded, which has happened to Canada, it's happened to the U.S. as well. The U.S., on the other hand, has also been approaching a critical tipping point also pertaining to its ceiling limit, um, which is currently at $28.4 trillion. So yeah, it's a pretty crazy perspective there. So Canada, our debt ceiling is $1.83 trillion. The Americans, $28.4 trillion. So what happens when countries reach their debt ceiling? Like, what would you do if you're reaching your credit card limit? That's right. Ask your credit card company to raise the limit, right? I mean, you know, the smartest thing would be to pay it down and all that good stuff, right? But that's essentially what is going on with the debt ceiling issue right now in the U.S. Pretty much, you know, your your problem would be solved. You, you increase the credit card limit and you carry on. But when it comes to governments... It's a bit more of a process. Um, it involves senators to vote on it. Then they must pass legislation. So about a week ago, the Democrats needed a majority vote. You know, and this involves the, the Republicans. And they need this to pass a bill to increase the debt ceiling. Currently at $28.4 trillion Because their payment is coming due in the next week or so, next couple of weeks. So let's pause here. The Democrats, which are the party in power, need the cooperation of the Republicans to increase the limit on the credit card, their debt ceiling. And if they are unable to do this, you know, the consequences are dire. 
right? Like you could, if, if they're not able to make this payment on their debt, all the money that they're printing and borrowing, the, the default could cause a, they're saying nearly a 4% decline in economic activity. And if they could lose several million jobs, they've estimated 6 million jobs. Unemployment rate would go close to 9%, they figure. Uh, there would be a big massive sell-off in stocks that would wipe billions, a few trillion for sure, in household w- uh, wealth. And, and a spike, this is a big one, a spike in interest rates on mortgages. And not just mortgages, but consumer loans and other business debts. So massive, massive consequences if, um, if they're not able to make this payment on their, their debt. So the Republicans have instead, rather than cooperating in this manner, they've politicized it. Instead, they're arguing that the Democrats should proceed with what's known as a budget reconciliation instead of just increasing the debt ceiling, which basically means you know reassess the, the current expenditures and look for opportunities within the current budget to reallocate and rebalance, right? Sounds totally smart, very exhausting and disciplinarian, but probably the right thing to do. But but they don't want to do that. So in ordinary times, the Senate would swiftly pass a bill to increase the limit and and carry on, which apparently has been done over a hundred times in the past. But not this time. The Republicans want to make a statement about the Democrat spending. So the deadline for the debt payment was coming up. It was October the 18th. Uh, but just a, a few nights ago, they, um, the U.S. Senate came to an agreement to increase the limit by $480 billion. Okay, so they're, they're taking that uh, $28.4 trillion and they're just increasing it by $480 billion. So they are. They're essentially increasing their credit card limit, which is really just uh, going to buy them more time until they say about early December, at which time this whole drama will replay itself. So this is basically where many countries in the world are um, right now and why inflation is the topic of conversation for the past year. So that'll be uh, interesting to see how, how long this continues, like the, this whole routine of increasing the debt ceiling. Um, at one point, they're going to have to either raise interest rates or increase taxes. So um, that's something to keep an eye on, and um, I'll be keeping an eye on that and and reporting it here in the preamble of uh, this podcast. According to a study done by the Canadian Institute for Climate Choices, apparently hundreds of thousands of Canadians are buying homes in high-risk flood zones. And British Columbia particularly Vancouver, Lower Mainland, is leading all provinces with the number of homes at high risk. And here are some of the points in that report. Uh, Metro Vancouver is a hotspot for such risk. Part of that is because of high property values. Roughly $30 billion in home and building value sits within one meter of current sea level. But many municipalities in the region also face twin pressures from rising seas, and a network of massive rivers. And they go on and um, say a few more points here. I jotted down. We have our airports. We have our port. We have all of, you know, this extremely high value infrastructure in Vancouver. We have huge areas like Richmond and Delta and Surrey. 
that are exposed both to sea level rise and the Fraser River, says Harford. Between 2070 and 2100, Metro Vancouver's annual flood damages are expected to climb to $510 million annually, a 17-fold increase under a low emission scenario and up to $820 million annually, which would be 27 times the current value under a high emission scenario. That's all expected to filter down to individual homeowners. So 50 years from now, they say average individual property damage is projected to hit $4,400 per year in Metro Vancouver more than seven times today's costs. In hot real estate markets such as Vancouver and Toronto, this means that property buyers, from individual homeowners to commercial real estate investors, are likely paying too much for homes and buildings whose value will drop when their flood risk becomes apparent. So pretty big statements. Pretty scary. And, and then this little bit, until that happens, and what they're referring to is the government has been procrastinating about updating this high risk, uh, these high-risk flood maps across the country. So until the government updates this high-risk flood map, huge risks are going undisclosed to property buyers, to mortgage lenders, and mortgage-backed security holders. A risk that extends to the destructive potential of wildfire, heat, and permafrost. Once those risks to climate-induced flooding are updated, the real estate market is expected to see a correction and property owners will likely face a confluence of rising insurance rates, zero coverage, and sinking property values, says the underwater study. The report warns that as property values in affected areas decrease, home and business owners would likely hemorrhage wealth and default on their loans. Scale that up, and economic consequences could ripple through consumer spending, lending and credit, and wholesale economic growth. Okay, so yeah, some pretty big statements there. And uh, yeah, apparently the government of Canada has been procrastinating on uh, updating or refreshing these uh, these uh, flood maps across Canada. Check it out. You can read the report in its entirety and download a copy of it at uh, climatechoices.ca. Let's begin and discuss this week's headliner, variable rate mortgages with fixed payments. I hope you're getting some value out of today's talk. The whole idea is to dedicate an entire episode to one specific topic. So if it's something else you are looking to learn about, simply scroll through my past episodes and skim the titles for the particular topic you are looking for. And if you can't find what you're looking for, then send me a text and I'll be sure to talk about it in the following episode. Call or text me anytime at 604-800-9593 or find me at homefinancingsolutions.ca. One application, one credit check, and access to Canada's top lenders. And now, back to the episode. All right, let's talk about variable rate mortgages. Did you know that there are variable rate mortgages that allow you to have fixed payments regardless if the rate changes? There is such a product, and it's referred to as a capped variable rate mortgage. Here's a breakdown of the two types of variable rate mortgages. Number one, capped variable rate mortgage. The interest rate fluctuates when a lender's prime rate changes. Generally, your payment amount stays fixed for a determined period of time or up to a certain threshold of rate increases as outlined by your specific lender's loan and terms conditions. However, the interest rate will fluctuate with any changes in prime rate. If prime rate goes down, 
more of your payment will go towards paying off your principal. If the prime rate goes up, more of your payment will go towards interest costs rather than the principal pay down. Okay, so capped variable rate mortgages, uh, there's a fixed payment for a period of time, depending on what the conditions are with your with your specific lender. Um, but the payment stays the same. So if the vari- the rate is variable, it goes up or down, you can have the assurance of, of having the fixed payment. All right, capped variable rate mortgage. The other type of variable rate mortgage is adjustable variable rate mortgage. Uh, so just as the, the capped variable, the interest rate fluctuates when a lender's prime rate changes up or down. However, the payment amount adjusts as well. So it adjusts automatically to reflect changes in the annual interest rate and in the number of days in the month. So this means your payments may change from payment date to payment date. That's all I got for today. Call or text me anytime if you have any mortgage questions at all, especially if you're in British Columbia or Alberta, as I'm licensed to service these specific provinces. And especially if you're from Vancouver or Calgary, as I'm very familiar with these markets. Call or text me at 604-800-9593, or you can visit my website at homefinancingsolutions.ca. Thank you again for tuning into Mortgage Genomics Canada. Stay well, everyone. Talk again soon.